welcome to episode 27 of That 60s Recording Podcast, the podcast that has conversations inspired by the golden era of recording. My name is Joe Montague uh, from All You Need Is Drums and I am your host. 27 means that this is over a year I've been doing this podcast now. I had no expectations when I started it, but the fact that I'm still sat here doing it a year later is uh, fantastic, and I'm absolutely loving it. I hope <laughs> I hope you are too. Um, with that in mind, I hope that you enjoyed the first episode of my conversation with Ben Pike. Um, this is the episode where we really start to dig in to his gear and the mastering process. I found it really interesting and I really relished the opportunity to pick somebody's brains about the mastering process. Uh, I know that a few of you have already been in touch with Ben about getting your songs mastered and that fills me with joy. I love the fact that uh, we can support people, uh, the people that I'm interviewing. Um, I just feel like there's a really lovely community building around this sort of uh, 60s style ideas and and music making um so thank you to those and i uh, have every confidence that ben will blow you away with how amazing uh, he makes your music sound i'm sure it sounds amazing already but there we go okay we're going to dive right in here is uh, the second part of my conversation with ben pike from rare tone mastering suppose we should talk about the gear that you've got in your studio <laughs> yeah i mean I, yeah yeah um sure but I'm, I'm happy to do that i'm not sure yeah how nerd how nerdy you want to get and how uh oh I'd go go full full nerd I, you yeah. know, I, I want to know all of it so obviously there is two choice pieces of gear that you've got that are gonna um that sort of um make me look up and um yeah. so they're very, um, I'll let you describe them. So do you want to just talk through, uh, you know, we'll get into those, but do you want to just sort of, sort of give an overview of, of what you've got? So you're sat, um, you know, I've seen pictures of your studio and, and you're, you've got a, a standard sort of mastering setup where you've got the slightly angled desk and all your outboards in front of you um, so that you can sort of tweak yeah. as you go. Um, and then what, what have you got that you're using um, there and, and sort of could you talk through your setup? Yeah, sure. So, um, so everything comes comes into the computer. So I'm not completely analog. I'm not going straight from tape. Um, so as people send me the files, I go onto the computer. Then my um, converters or sound card is a Lynx Helo, um, which is pr pretty common for mastering studios. Um, it's just a really great interface. Um, great to to be able to send your music out into your outboard and recapture it and back into the computer so lynx has got uh i mean i've i've looked into lynx aurora at times yeah. i don't i don't know the different levels of model but um they seem to have a pretty solid reputation and for conversion among studios yeah they're they're, they're up there there's there's pretty much the the, the links uh there's this one which is great for mastering there's a, they do a couple more which have more channels but i just need a stereo output and input really for what i'm doing um but yeah they're up there um so so everything comes out of the my converters into um 
my mastering router, which is a dangerous liaison. So that's basically um, a bit like a fan. It's like a fancy patch bay. So all, all my outboard gear is connected to that uh, and I can just press press buttons to bring it in or out and oh, change cool. the order um, and use some of the bits in parallel processing as well. Um, so I can really quickly put an EQ in turn and turn it on or off to sort of, you know, hear what the before and after. That's cool. So it's almost, uh, it's it's sort of, You've got the quickness of, of plugins, if you like, but on outboard gear. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can literally have six or seven bits of gear going uh, and then just click all of them in or out or swap the order and stuff like really super quick, which is Amazing. great. Literally, yeah, at, at the touch of a button, um, which is, yeah, really important for making decisions because you, yeah, audio. Uh, uh, or auditory memory is really short so when when we're listening to stuff if there's too long a pause i think it's about four seconds ah. too long a pause between listening to one thing and then listening to the other one you'll forget and you won't be able to compare it very well that's so interesting uh, i yeah. remember um Again, just going going back to the conversation I had with Ken Scott talking about mixing sort of on the fly um that's so you know I, I do a bit of rudimentary mixing work and that's something that's talked about a lot in mixing is is sort of impulse decisions and um you know obviously there's a, the fixing stage of mixing where you sort of make everything sound how it needs to and then just making snap decisions based on what you're hearing in that moment and mm. um yeah i had no idea about um what did you call it? Auditory memory. I, I like that. Yeah. I think there might, there might be a, another uh, word for that as well, and maybe a slightly more scientific one. But yeah, what, what you're hearing basically, you, you don't you don't hang on to it for very long. Amazing. Um, That's uh, I, I, yeah, I just didn't know it. That's really cool, and it makes sense in terms of um, you know having everything in front of you like you do, and, and it, so it sort of shows the importance of. Um, having a setup that can facilitate that um mm. you know something i i routinely talk about with with people who ask me advice is um having a setup where i don't have to make decisions that take me a long time to to, to sort of sort out yeah all my percussion is there any snare drum that i want to use is there symbols that i want to change out are there you know every option available to me is literally within an arm's reach of my drum stool so, you know, when I'm making decisions on a track for percussion and drums, it just happens. And yeah, uh, right. it's sort of, you've, you've put a scientific name to it. I, can't, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, do, I'll try and uh, dig out some, uh, a couple of uh, papers on it or whatever and send, send it over. Um, but yeah, it's basically, if I listen to a bit of a track, if then, if I had to stop, get some wire, get some cables, plug in a compressor, turn it on, dial it in, and then press play again. By the time I've done that, I, I wouldn't, my memory, my auditory memory wouldn't be good enough to actually compare the two. So, yeah. yeah, it's really, yeah, really important that we can do this all really quick. Um, yeah, so I guess that's really like, yeah, it's a super important part of the, uh, 
of, of the studio it's uh, it's a question you see all the time on sort of audio forums and stuff like what i want to start mastering what what gear should i get you know and it's a bit of a bit of a difficult one because you need a few few pieces really before you can start using the outboards uh, efficiently yeah it's it's i mean it seems to always be the case it's sort of in a sense it's a boring piece of gear to have but yeah. incredibly important yeah um, yeah you know we all want you know I, i'd love a uh you know a huge rack of you know i've got i've got a couple but a huge rack yeah. of 10 1073s or valve pre's or whatever but the fact of yeah. the matter is i need a good interface to start with because if I have, I have all of those things going through a terrible interface there's no point so you know you gotta yeah. you gotta build from the ground up don't you <laughs> yeah it's true and one of the most common things that comes up uh, like i'm a member in a few mastering sort of uh, facebook groups and, and different forums and stuff and uh yeah it's the bore really boring stuff that's the most important like sound you know sound acoustic treatment you know no one wants to go and spend 600 quid on a on an acoustic panel <laughs> you know people want a, a a piece of gear in front of them where they can you know play with the dials and stuff it's i mean again it's interesting that you're saying that i mean going back to uh the conversation with, with malcolm toft who you know famously made the trident desks yeah that's his uh, piece of advice you know oh, what, right. you know uh, what's your piece of advice for for young people coming up acoustic treatment make sure your room is treated um, yeah. you know, that's why I was asking you about it at the beginning because I know it's such an important part and yeah. it's um, it, it's it's those little things that are it's the, they're the boring answers to the questions but you know you want to everybody wants to buy a pair of headphones that sound like um, you know some studio in LA yeah. <laughs> or a plug-in yeah. you know have you seen those plugins that do that that you know emulate stu- uh, mixing rooms in studios yeah I've seen that yeah and it's I mean that's cool don't get me wrong yeah. that's extremely cool but if just make sure that your room sounds nice yeah. <laughs> when you're doing it yeah. <laughs> or send yeah. it to somebody who has got a nice sounding room you know that's the yeah. and it's um you know we all just want to buy everybody wants a quick fixes and and cool stuff and it's yeah. just oh, unfortunately yeah. it's not the cool stuff to spend all your money on <laughs> yeah that's it yeah it's a shame but you know it is so following on from that um, yeah. Do you have your gear racked out in a particular order? Um, yeah, I've sort of I've got it set up um, really for how it works best visually for me. So I have my two um, EQs of right in front of me on the desk because uh, they they've got the most sort of detailed um, information that I need to look at. So all the EQ points and how much I'm boosting or cutting by. So so everything's sort of set set up. Um, yeah. So so it's 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 quick the quickest and easiest way for me to use it, I guess. Yeah. So there's a couple of bits where that I don't use as often, but I might have to stand up and look over to just fine tune the dials and stuff. So uh, yeah, the ones I, I use least are, are further away from me. And um, what would they be? Um, so I guess one of them is the unfair child compressor. Not not that I use it the least, but it's the biggest. It's an eight, yeah. eight unit, eight rack units, which is pretty huge. Um, 
but all the dials and stuff are really big and I can see them uh, fine. Yeah. Where, where it is. Um, and then the, the other one is a, um, uh, a, a different EQ, a third EQ that I use mainly for mid-side processing. Okay. Uh, so it's a bit more subtle in its use. Um, and because um, it's got wider EQ curves to it, um, there's not as much detail on the actual unit. So I can see the settings fine. But, but the, my two main EQs, I've got loads of information, so I'm sat directly over them. Okay, so let, let's talk about them. So what, what are those yeah. two EQs? So the I guess the first one, and, and probably your favourite, would be <laughs> the, uh, the Chandler Curve Bender. Yes, ding, so ding, this ding. Is the one from the... Yeah, all the fireworks so are going off. I feel like we've been. I've, yeah. I've been. I've knew knew this was coming. <laughs> I'm just excited to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> have to get some uh, sound effects lined up for. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so this is the EQ from the original uh, Abbey Roads uh, desk, the TG one two three four five, which is the the famous desk at Abbey Road that the Beatles recorded a lot on yes um dark side of the moon was done on like some massive iconic albums so and this is just the eq section of that desk so i was doing a bit of reading about it and it seems that about 10-ish years ago is when chandler decided to reissue it and um am i right in thinking that some of the eq points are they've put more points in now so there's is there sort of 50 different points that you can get or something um that's just a bit more varied than the, the in the original version although the back end of it all is the same um you can just get a bit yeah. more out of it now yeah definitely so so the original um eq on the desk had three dials like you might see on on a lot of um mixing desks with a bass middle and treble um so the bass was literally had one setting that was just called bass and that was, <laughs> and you could turn it up or down. Um, so there's now, <laughs> so there's now seven settings on okay. the bass section here. So they've added six more. So uh, yeah, it's a bit more usable for, um, for that. And then, and then the middle section has been split into a low mid and a high mid. Uh, and they've added loads more EQ points, and then yeah, again, I think the high, I think the high one on the original desk was just one setting of ten kilohertz that you could turn up or down. Okay, and that's got seven or eight on. So it's interesting how restricted it all was back then. I I love yeah. the fact that you know bass up or down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, why um. What what interested you in in buying? I mean, you mentioned already the um, the sort of unfair child that you've got as well. Um, yeah. But like, have you got a particular interest in in? Uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't need to necessarily be Beatles related, but there's definitely a sound that those two um, those two units in particular have, and and a sort of an image they conjure up uh, in your in you know in your mind's eyes. What was your inspiration between those in buying those two? Yeah, just um, I guess just that they're, they're both 
like legendary pieces. The the fair, the original Fairchild, and 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 the desk that have been used on so many albums from the sixties, even onwards. I think I think this the Kerbender EQ now um, is, is used. It, they used it on Beyonce's Lemonade and stuff like that. There's loads of modern albums that are still oh, using this. Wow. Uh, so, it, and because it sounds great, and there's a reason it's lasted for decades, <laughs> you know, it sounds really good. Um, same same with the Fairchild. It's, uh, yeah, they, they have a sound and, and it's consistently worked. From from you know Beatles stuff to to modern modern uh, modern stuff. Do you think that sound wise they are are trying to sort of decipher what it is what it is about that that sort of era of gear that um, that is right? I mean, obviously the the sort of Fairchild the Beatles absolutely rinsed it. You know, particularly yeah. on drums. You know, that yeah. one of the things that. Um, the Beatles are, are known for in terms of mixing is just cranking things, um, yeah. And clearly, you're not quite going to be quite as heavy-handed with it. But yeah. the fact that they're such colourful pieces of gear must um, must be part of the reason that they've stood the test of time. Like they're confidently unique as what they are. Um, yeah. You know that a lot of modern, you know, say like a surgical EQ or you know some sort of um, parametric eq is not going to have the same richness to the sound quality of it um that gear in the 60s had through necessity or just because that's what the technology was available you know it wasn't by choice back then it was just like that's what that's just what it was yeah and yeah part of it was yeah like you say was an a happy accident that some some of the gear added noise to to the signal uh, but it turned out that was a really nice type of noise. <laughs> this harmonic saturation that, that um, like thickened the signal in in a nice way. Uh, and there was lots of gear that, that did it in a not very nice way. And obviously that that gear hasn't stood the test of time. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I've totally forgotten your question about that. That's um, fine. But... I just love the idea. <laughs> I love the idea that modern records are using uh, gear that began life in in the sixties. Essentially, you yeah. know, this I can't find. You know, that's just such a brilliant example of why this particular era is so important in music. Um, yeah. you know, just one example. You know, let you know that's the recording side of things. Let alone sort of the songwriting side of things. And there's a a thousand reasons we could talk about as to why it's so important, but. You know yeah. the, the fact that, um, you know, Beyonce record is using an EQ that was made in the '60s just sort of tickles yeah. me. I love it. <laughs> sort of, sort of made specially for Abbey Road and and for that, that sort of era. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. Um, yeah. How uh, are, are they? Oh, could you just talk about actually your other EQ while we're here talking about EQs? Yeah, so I've got a couple more. I've got the um, a Great River. Uh, stereo mastering EQ, um, which is a, which is another one. Um, it's got a good bit of heritage going back to I think the seventies. Um, uh, but I mean, it's been updated now with sort of uh, clean a bit a cleaner signal path and stuff like that. But um, 
it's another one. It's a lot cleaner and a lot more transparent than than the curve bender or, and tube stuff. But it's it's got some great options where you can drive it and get a really nice nice sort of um, saturated sound. You've almost and answered my next question. I'm interested as to how you know obviously two mammoth EQs that you've got there. How do you? Um, I mean, presumably you don't think about it. It's almost instinctive. But how, uh, what, how, how would you describe how you choose to use what and in what way? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's it's quite hard to put into words. I, it'd be I'd have I'll have to do like a comparison of these one day, <laughs> and like run run a piece of audio through them both because they have a few EQ points that are exactly the same. Um, but yeah, they both just sort of have their own sound. So I just sort of, I'd use the curve bender, say, stuff that's, um, if I'm EQing around the vocal range, that's where it's, it okay. really works beautifully. It sounds amazing, sort of boosting um, around there. And a great river I find really great on some, on bass and really high end. So it's got, it's got like a 22K shelf uh, which can, which can be a bell uh, boost as well actually, but so it's really super high sort of air the sort of um, yeah glistening sort of airy sound on on the top is is really great for that. So I'll quite often use the Great River after something's come out of the Fairchild compressor. So as it's gone into the compressor, it's it's been sort of a bit tiny bit squashed and it's got some sort of valve. Uh, saturation and stuff like that and then adding that really high air on top coming out of that really sort of opens it up a bit it's um i i know it's a it's a sort of nerdy talk but i really enjoy yeah. hearing the you know i i i enjoy the struggle of trying to put it into words it is yeah. it's really interesting i mean there's yeah. decisions that i make at the studio that you don't think about them especially when you're working on your own do you i mean um, mm. you know both of us work on our own an awful lot and you just you've not got a, a mental uh commentary running you just make the decision don't you based on what you sort of well based on that four seconds rule that you talked about before you know yeah. you just, you're just just doing things and then somebody yeah. says why have you used the curve bender there as opposed to the great river and you go well i don't know i just know that it's going to do the thing that i want it to do and um I, I don't I, I can't really describe what that thing is but there's something there that I just need to I know that will do it <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's it is very difficult to put into words yeah I guess it's a, a lot of time spent doing it as well you just you reach for a piece of gear and test it if it works that's great if it doesn't work you you try the next piece and, and sort of play around like that so the more you do that the more you're likely to pick the right gear first time how does compression and limiting then fit into your setup if we've, we've talked a lot about eqs um, so yeah. you've got the fairchild there and then what else yeah. have you got so yeah the massive fairchild which is great big valve compressor so and typically at the mastering stage i don't use a lot of compression but it stuff goes through the compressor even if it's not actually getting compressed because um, it still picks up the uh, those valves. I uh, 
I keep I keep cutting you off because it's such an interesting topic, but that's something that I do. I have um, uh, I have the Fairchild plugin, um, you know the yeah. the, the Waves one. I think they called it a Puig Child, and okay. um, on my Beatles mixes, obviously I I smash it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but on um, when I'm mixing in general, I'll often run things through it, um, just completely flat, and it um it it's lovely, absolutely lovely. Um, particularly yeah. on vocals, I find it it's, sort of brings them out really nicely. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's part of the beauty of this this one is you, you can stuff through it, and it 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 has a six valves on the input stage um, that, that pad pad the signal. So just going into it, you you get sort of old dBs worth of a valve uh, sort of yeah saturation loveliness <laughs> yeah yeah um but i still do use it to to for slight compression obviously depending on the material uh but then i have another a dangerous compressor which is pretty much the exact opposite of that it's a super transparent super clean compressor um which i'll sort of use on if anything's a bit spiky or is sort of a bit too dynamic and i just want to sort of tame the peaks a little bit I might I might run it through the dangerous compressor instead, because um, that won't really add add anything uh, to it. But it can sort of just make stuff a bit just even everything out a bit bit uh, bit nicer. And then then I'll go into a an, an analog limiter before it it goes back into the computer. It sounds like you've thought. You know, you've got a really well thought through collection of gear that you've, you know, sort of a, a nice combination between sort of colour pieces and um, pieces that um, are sort of clear and just do a job, essentially. Yeah, sort of just like work tools. A couple, yeah, so I've got, yeah, a couple that just do something that I need them to do. And then I've got a couple that are a bit more creative, I guess, What's um what's missing? What's next? What's missing? There, I've there's a few things I've got my eyes on. Um, I haven't mentioned my uh, analog actually yet. My tape, uh, analog tape simulator. Which oh is, yes, uh, I read about that on your website. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. So this is it's a it's an analog piece of gear. Um, Would you mind just uh, mentioning the name again? The, the signal broke up. Uh, as oh, you yeah. as you said it, and I know everyone yeah. will be going. What did he say? What did he say? <laughs> so it's the Animod ATS One, uh, and they've just come back into production. Actually, they went out of production for quite a long time. Okay. So they were, you can buy them, although I think they might have all been snapped up straight away. But look into it if you're interested. Um, but it, it's a it's a two unit piece of outboard gear, which is. Uh, relies on analog modeling and and it has card slots in it and you can buy different cards which emulate the sound of different tape machines so i've got in here a studer um aat um and an older ampex tape machine which i can just flip between amazing Uh, and and these are well regarded within the sort of mastering community as as sounding as close as you could possibly get to to running stuff out to tape and back that's Um, incredible in fact people prefer using this because it's so close it's unnoticeable and 
it's so much easier and quicker to use. Yeah, I mean, even the the podcast that's currently out as we are recording this is with Simon Traw at Soup Studios, and and uh, you know we talk about the the pitfalls of of outboard, uh, not outboard of tape. Um, you know, yeah. as, as gorgeous as it is, but then you know the the fact of life is that um, as, well, particularly for what you're doing, you're not actually recording to tape. Um, but the you know yeah. the fact of the modern modern way is a lot of us don't have time to to be doing that. You know, we need a, something reliable. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, if it, if you can get ninety nine percent of the way there with with uh, you know something like that, then why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely works for me for mastering because I might send a project out and someone want me to then tweak it a bit. I need to be able to recall every setting. So this helps me do that. Whereas if I was using a, a proper tape machine to run everything out to and back, it just wouldn't be the same every time. There's so, so many variations in humidity, that affects tape, uh, how it's lined up on the heads and everything like that. So yeah, yeah. I just wouldn't be able to use it reliably enough for mastering, I don't think. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm still just sort of in awe of that. That's it's such a, <laughs> a cool, such a cool piece of gear. I, I kind of, I want one. <laughs> yeah, and you can actually buy different. There's still a couple of other machine types I, I could order off the website and slot in a different another machine, so I could flip between them. That's it's pretty, um, pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty. yeah, it is. It's um sort of a nice balance between um sort of analog and and a uh, kind of the plug-in world really because it's almost like yeah. an outboard plug-in isn't it? Yeah, um, sort of, yeah. And uh it's it just seems like a nice a nice sort of bridge between them. Um, yeah. But you say it uses analog technology as opposed you know it's not digital modeling is it? They've they've got as it presumably has electronics inside it that do yeah. do the lifting work. Yeah. Um, so I, I go on then. What's missing? <laughs> we we didn't get what's to what's missing. missing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's uh, yeah. There's a there's a few pieces of gear um, that are basically uh, saturation devices. So yeah, I've got my there's three three different things that that I would. If I had if I had the money, I'd buy straight away and, and start in here. But they're all sort of the same thing in, in that the units which add colour rather than do a specific task of compression or EQ. Um, so like just to add vibe or harmonic saturation, colour, mojo, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what so, are they? So one is a Ker, Kerwax replica, okay, uh, built by um, Kerwax as a studio in France, and the guy's hand built a um, analog studio. And yeah, it's all it's an all valve uh, thing, and it's basically a, a unit that has a load of valves in it, and you okay. can drive them at different, um, yeah, sort of different different rates and stuff like that how do you spell kerwax i'm curious now oh k-e-r yeah wax w-a-x okay that's not a it's not a name i've heard before yeah oh it's a a beautiful building it looks like a yeah yeah nice old 
um, French manor. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. So, um, so it's almost a like a valve sort of amplifier where you can you can choose how much saturation you're using on the on the valves. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just you could drive something, get it really thick and and sort of warm, or just add a real subtle touch. Mm. So yeah, that's something that yeah I've had my eye on for a while. I'd certainly like to try out. Uh, and then yeah, there's the um, one that's come out more recently, uh, which was a sort of collaboration between Hendy Amps, who make amazing gear, and um, another mastering engineer. That is called the Oven. Okay. Um, yeah, if you type in Handy Amps the Oven, I'm sure, yeah, you'll find it. Um, I love the, all of these names that they all have are so glamorous, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. And this is, yeah, this is another one that sort of is, is a very similar thing, but it has a lot more options um, and, and they've chosen to name it all around sort of cooking uh, related. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it now. That's a very cool piece, uh, piece yeah. of gear. Temperature, cook. Royal, I think is one. I can't, uh, yeah, I can't see that it's sort of faded out on one side. That's incredible. Um, Oh, yeah. Sizzle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sizzle's one of them. That's amazing. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, yeah, they've got the um, the central dials are called the burners. Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. I sort of like the fact that it's it's a bit, it's not quite as scientific as some outboard can be, and it's like, yeah, well, let's add some Sizzle or let's, <laughs> let's add some burn to this track. I think that's quite cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> very cool. Yeah. So I think yeah. So there's 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 a few bits of re- really good sort of high end gear like that that um, I'd certainly like to try out anyway. That sort of fit with my sort of my studio and the way I work, which is you know heavy on the analog gear and and adding that sort of analog signal to stuff. I really enjoy that you could ask any um, anybody in the audio industry or just any musician in general. You know what's what's on your list, and you yeah. straight you straight away knew there's three things on my list. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. everyone's got their list, haven't they? Yeah. Oh, there's there's twenty grand's worth of gear on my list. If, you know, <laughs> if I had the money, <laughs> that's it exactly. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, your free mastering Mondays that you've been offering. So, um, clearly, COVID has. Um, affected uh, everything you know and it, the sort of remote industries um you know that i work in and, and mastering is essentially a remote industry even if you're working with local clients um have exploded and they've exploded in a you know in a positive way but then also a lot of people are, are losing work um you know i i for one have you know the, a lot of the touring that i was doing before um yeah. it, you know it's it's um it's actually helped because now I'm you know working a lot of the studio and and I'm enjoying that, um but a lot of people have lost a huge chunk of their incomes and I think your what you're offering with your free mastering Mondays is is the antidote to that it's um you know such a, a a brilliant and generous idea could you just tell a bit tell us a bit about how 
sort of how you came up with that and and what your um what your goal is in doing it yeah it's um yeah i mean it's just been such a crazy year um and yeah i i've made made my living for 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 a good part of time as as a live musician myself and i've slowly sort of phased that out to do more studio based stuff so yeah, a lot of my friends are are touring musicians. That that's their living. Um, my my circle of friends is is sort of based around the music and arts sort of world. And yeah, I mean, even though I don't rely on on uh, playing live for my for my living, it, just not being able to go to gigs and and play the odd gig has, has been yeah really, really tough. So. Yeah, so I just I just thought I'd try and do my like a, a really small part to 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 help out. You know, I've got a family who work in the NHS, and I just think, um, yeah, it, people are, are just working so hard to help other people um, at the minute. If I can just do like a small thing, that helps out. You know, I'm I'm happy to. Um, so what's so, the, yeah, what's the deal with it? What how does it work? Yeah, so I just thought I'd, I'd just put one day aside where I basically I just work for free for every Monday. I just uh, offer mastering of one track for free for anyone that gets in touch. And uh, yeah, just send me a track and I'll, I'll master it and send it back. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm here to work for, for anyone who sends a track in. Um, yeah, the, I guess the idea was to help musicians that have been at home, haven't been able to tour. They might have been able to record a single or some stuff. And then if I can master it and get it get it sounding really good, they can then upload it and sell it to their fans or get it played on the radio or at least get some sort of either financial or just or, or sort of creative... Um, uh, reward from it it's such a an incredibly generous thing i mean I, I i've experienced it myself that you know just how how lovely the community of musicians are um you know instagram seems to be the important tool for us in you know in terms of uh sort of peddling our wares uh, if you like um but everybody He's so generous. I mean, I've been on the receiving end of lots of generosity on Instagram and tried to give it. You know, it's a, it's. A, yeah. I think. Um, I think it can be, for songwriters who are, are, are writing on their own now a lot. I mean, even outside of COVID, people were were you know they're getting home setups and all that kind of stuff. It can yeah. feel like an intimidating industry to approach. You know, who do you go for for mastering? Who do you? you know and how is it really expensive and it's just a big minefield of of places and you know the same could be said for a remote working uh, for a remote instrument playing like you know like what i do yeah and i think the more generous you can be the the better really you know we're not we essentially we do what we do because we love it not because we want to make a million pounds out of it <laughs> you know yeah yeah um yeah and it and it's been amazing i've had some really People who've got in touch who, who, like you say, haven't had anything mastered before, have been a bit sort of bamboozled by the whole thing. 
And um, yeah, I've been able to just explain stuff and and, uh, and and help people out a little bit. And people have been just, yeah, really grateful. And yeah, it, it's just been, I think it's been great to just, to, you know, it, it, can, it doesn't take me that long. And even if I spend one day a week doing it, it gets, you know, it has such a, a big knock-on effect for people, I think. It's brilliant. I mean, I'll put details on um, on how to get in touch with you and things on on the sort of notes for this, because um, oh, I think hopefully it's a service that a lot of people listening to this can sort of take advantage of. I mean, <laughs> your rates are extremely reasonable anyway. So, <laughs> um, but they, uh, you know, I think um, I think your uh, what you're doing uh, is perfect in terms of the sound for. Um, for the sort of music that people who are listening to this will be interested in. I mean, I know you just finished working on um, Joe Kane, uh, who I've interviewed for this podcast as well. Um, and I think I'll, I'll have to interview him again. I haven't got any choice because he's just got the, made this incredible Beatles-y album uh, using yeah. loads of uh, beautiful analog gear at his studio. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm just going to have to get him back in to talk about it all. But you've just finished yeah. working on that. And that's proper sort of Beatles pastiche um early early 60s isn't it yeah yeah i mean yeah it, yeah he's phenomenal um yeah uh, yeah I, I just can't yeah you can't really describe how just how well he's got everything down and <laughs> how good he gets it um yeah you just have to go listen to it it's uh but the yeah. fact that um as soon as uh as soon as he found out about you and the sort of um curve bending you've got and the fair charge you've got it was like well it's perfect i have i have yeah. no choice but to have it mastered by um, by ben it's just um it was and he in fact he messaged me two days ago with a little sound clip of something that you've just worked on for him and uh oh cool, yeah. yeah it sounded amazing you've just done such a, a superb job um really sympathetically enhancing what he's doing because you have to be really careful with that sort of um pastiche type stuff you, you you know it can it can go wrong quite quickly and the job you've done making it sound the way it sounds is amazing it sounds brilliant oh great yeah well, i'm glad yeah it's uh yeah it's been yeah amazing to work on it's such yeah great tunes and uh yeah just love yeah just love running it through all all this gear and uh do you have yeah. um do you have a sort of favorite style that you like working on or a, a favorite um maybe not a genre but it's you know say having a full sort of rock band setup or acoustic guitar and vocal do you have any sort of a particular favorite thing that you like working on um i, th I think the beauty of of mastering is like the variety i think if i worked on any one thing all day every day i'd probably tire of it pretty soon but the fact i can master a, a folk ep in the morning and then get a, a death metal track in, in the afternoon and then do a hip-hop compilation the next day it is just brilliant you know i think that that's what i really love um yeah i mean there's there's music i like to play and that i might listen to at home but but for mastering, yeah, the variety is, is great. 
Cool. Uh, bit, bit, of, bit, a bit of everything. Sort of non-answer there, but yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so anything. Oh, I was just going to say anything more sort of dynamic uh, works great with with my gear. So yeah. stuff, stuff like stuff that's been recorded with live live instruments, live vocals, even, um, just re- really fits well. I still do master dance dance stuff like that occasionally, uh, but but my gear works great with with like lively music, you know. Yeah, I can see that. You know, like as we've sort of discussed, you've got a, a good balance between creative tools and and sort of a uh, tools just for tools' sake, you know, tools to do a job. And and I think um, you know the more creativity you've got the more room for creativity you have in the music that that sort of lets lets your um not uh, not only your gear but sort of the decisions that you make um more interesting um yeah sure what um what would you do you get have any say you know singer songwriter is is at home working on a mix of a song now to send to you do you have any particular Mm. mistakes that you see routinely or things that you've got to fix in the master um that you that you think are worth pointing out to people who might be preparing mixes for mastering um yeah i don't think there's any sort of one problem that that occurs all the time i, I guess the main thing is mixes coming in really loud and already already sort of limited or or head compressed um because then that sort of limits what i can do on my end so i guess yeah the main advice i give to uh, to anyone who sends me stuff is is that is, is don't don't put a limiter on your on your master bus and and just just mix it at a, a nice level don't push it because the, the more dynamic it is at, at that stage Ironically, the louder I can make it at my mm. end, if you if you want a loud master. Um, so yeah, so I think just yeah, people like things loud. It's sort of quite <laughs> natural for us to to gain and volumes just creep up, uh, you know. So well, humans, yeah, just leave it's things. the human thing, isn't it? Louder is better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, but but yeah. Things just sound so much better when it's nice and dynamic and nice and open. What, um, as a, in the sort of a entrepreneurial mindset, again, I'd I loathe to use that word, but you know, kind of, we've all, musicians have all got that spirit inside them. Um, yeah. You know, as somebody who's gone from sort of a, the germination of an idea of like, oh, I'd like to be, you know, I'd like to do, have a mastering studio to suddenly having this, you know, incredibly well kitted out studio and you're sort of, you know, you're living the dream essentially. You're doing a job that you absolutely love with some incredible gear that you're really good at. And um, what advice would you give to anybody who is working at, at home or perhaps listeners who want to get involved in the audio industry and, and, you know, what's your experience of the industry at the moment and how would you advise going about sort of taking next steps for people? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, th- I think it's it's not 
it's not like getting a job where you apply for a job and then if you get it, you start, you have a start date and then you're starting to do that job and then you do it because it, I, I've been doing this since I was, I guess I started at college at 16, I'm 39 now and and it's been quite gradual for me to get where I am now. And a um, big part, I think, of why I can do this full time is because I've spent 20 years around musicians, being sound engineer, a live musician. And I guess spending 20 years practicing, building contacts and all that sort of stuff. Um, and even this studio has, has sort of taken me 10 years to, to really build up to where it is now. Um, so, yeah, I think it takes takes a long time. I think just you just have to keep doing what you love doing. And um, if you have a goal in mind, that's great. And the, I mean, this for me formulated over quite a long period of time. So, so which is, there's no really good advice there. Apart well, from, I think it's patience is the word that springs to mind. And yeah, you know, yeah. the the sort of the way that the world is, it's a, uh, a. I think there's a meme that I've discussed on the podcast before of like a. I think you'll have seen it. Like it's those four squares, and someone you know gets their first. Um, gets their first interface and like opens GarageBand and suddenly they're a mix engineer. And yeah. It's that thing. And the reality is that it takes an awful long time to do it. And, um, you know, even just working in music in general, it took me 10 years to get to the point where I didn't lose sleep over where my money was coming from. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. and that, that took, yeah, it took ten years of doing it, and I think uh, a lot of yeah. I'm not suggesting for any second that anyone listening to this is 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 like it, but a lot of people expect that things happen quite quickly, and yeah. want you know we live in an immediacy, a culture with immediacy now, don't we? And, and um, you know that I think often often people don't appreciate how much work has gone into it. You know the the sort of backstory behind your studio and and how you've got to do it and why. Um, sort of why they should entrust you to to master their songs. Essentially, you know, I, I'm putting, I'm putting the words out there. I know you can't you can't say people should trust you to master their songs necessarily, but um, you know, there's there's a reason why you're doing it, and you're really good at it, and it's taken you a long time to get there. And that's uh, you know, I think I think it's easy to overlook that, yeah. um, particularly when people are making the decision to spend money on on things that. You know, as we've sort of spoken about earlier, that that plugins could do. They go, well, why would I, you know, why would I pay someone X amount of money to master it when I can have a plugin that can just do a kind a a job, a kind of job? <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah. the reality is, they're not going to. It it's not the same. There is a vast difference, you know, a, a cavernous yeah. difference between what a plugin can do and what you can achieve at your place. Um, and through through all of that experience that you've built up, you know. Yeah, it's. Um... Yeah, it, it's, yeah, like say, yeah, patience and, and a lot of time, um, which is, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm here now because 10 years ago I started mastering records that we'd recorded in a living room. <laughs> and and I, I was curious and, and really eager to learn at every stage. 
and you know some of those records that we first did back then we managed to get played on like six music and radio and stuff like that um you know not putting any of that down to my mastering skills (laughs) but um yeah but it was um yeah i think just the fact we were doing it all the time we weren't really doing it for like a, a financial thing you know it wasn't a business idea or anything it was we just loved doing it so we recorded and mixed and mastered all the time so i guess yeah that that's the advice if, if you want to get into it just just to do it all the time and yeah, yeah. as much as you can and, and and it'll unfold over time yeah i like that way of thinking about it it unfolds slowly over time i think that's a nice way where can people find more information about um rare tone mastering and, and what you're doing? yeah so the website is raretonemastering.com um and then there's uh probably the best thing to do if you're on social media is to follow my instagram uh i'm i'm not great at all social media but i do use instagram <laughs> So your game has up significantly over the past few months. You don't, I, I don't think you need to be, don't be too hard on yourself. I, oh, I love your social media. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. To, yeah. I'm glad you've noticed. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I am making a real effort to actually be on there and engage with people. Um, and a lot of people are getting in touch about the free mastering Mondays. So I, I try to be on there so I can reply and, send people to the website to to uh, to do that um so um so yeah instagram or, or the website raretonemastering.com forward slash free is the um free mastering mondays page so cool. i'll link i'll link all down to all of that stuff and i'm hoping that uh, you know we've already discussed that by the time this episode is out so i'll split i split these episodes into two halves um anyone who's on my isolated drums mailing list um ben has kindly offered to master um some of my drum tracks um to send out to you guys so we are um i am going to have a think about what i think would be the best ones to to run through your beautiful gear (laughs) and have your your midas touch put on them (laughs) Um, and then for uh for a whole month, I'll send out, um, I mean, absolutely ridiculously, incredibly good sounding drums, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't wait to, yeah, to get the drums through uh, through this uh, unfair child. That's, yeah, can't wait to do that. I'm thinking, I mean, people should perhaps get in touch and, and let me know. It'll be too late by this point, but <laughs> I, oh, might yeah. put, I might put it out on Instagram and ask people to get in touch, but... I need to think of some what's going to benefit the most. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe something off the off Revolver, um, something off Sergeant Pepper's, and then maybe something off White Album and Abbey Road might be quite cool. Yeah. So we get a good mix of, of of things. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, I need to get my thinking cap on and and um, and uh, decide what I want. <laughs> yeah, please do. Yeah, be yeah, great fun doing those. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for taking such a, a a huge chunk of your day to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Are aware that I record isolated drum stems, um, so exact 
transcriptions of Ringo's part on different Beatles songs. And Ben has offered to run some of my stems through his uh, Chandler EQ and the Fairchild. And he's got a, a tape emulation piece of hardware that he uses. Uh, that's that it sounds fantastic and that's what you were listening to so it was with a little help was the first sort of seg um beat and that one was i want you she's so heavy and they're all tracks that i will be sending out to my mailing list in the next few weeks that have been run through ben's gear so if you want and um, to to get those and you're not already on the mailing list it's all you need is drums.com and sign up there and it's all completely free then uh, the one I'm going to send out uh, tomorrow is Dear Prudence. And we've also done, trying to think which one it is now. Oh, back in the USSR. So I want you, she's so heavy, uh, with a little help from my friends, back in the USSR and Dear Prudence. And I'm going to start with Dear Prudence tomorrow at homemastering.com. I'll put all the links to it in the show notes. Okay, so the next episode in two weeks' time is with John Kurlander and Scott Malcolm Toft and John Kurlander, who all started at 16 at Abbey Road and all learnt from each other. So John Kurlander is perhaps the last of that list of people. And he is a now a, a very well-known mix engineer. He spent 30-odd years at Abbey Road doing all kinds of uh, different sessions, and he has mixed the Lord of the Rings soundtracks and done some amazingly diverse things, sort of, so all manner of pop recordings, uh, right through to sort of big classical things, which I'm not that uh, familiar with. Obviously, the film scores I'm familiar with, um, but sort of classical artists I'm not that familiar with. But I still find it absolutely fascinating that he had a career so diverse. So next couple of episodes will be with John Kurlander, and they are amazing. I was so excited to share this interview with you. It's potentially one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. And uh, apologies to everybody I've interviewed. You're all my favourites, but I particularly enjoyed this interview, so I can't wait for that to come out. Uh, so that'll be there in two weeks' time. Uh, as usual, if you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do that. My email address is joe at allyouneedisdrums.com. You can visit allyouneedisdrums.com, my website, or I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'll put links to all Ben stuff in the show notes. And that just leaves me to say a big thank you to my friend Joe Kane for the amazing intro and outro music he supplied for this podcast and my good friend David Henshaw for the artwork he lovingly supplies to me every two weeks. Uh, so have a fantastic fortnight and I will speak to you all soon. Goodbye! Goodbye! <laughs>